1-800-920-1580. Timberland and One Republic Apologize is the name of that track. Speaking of apologize, uh, we all recognize a lame apology when we hear one. I heard one yesterday, uh, in fact. So why is it so hard to apologize well? What makes for a sincere apology? How can we do apologies better? Sorry, sorry, sorry. We will make the case in this hour for good apologies now that we are joined by Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy. Together, they are the co-authors of a new book, out today, in fact. So glad we got them on the day of uh, publication. It's called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. Marjorie, how are you today? Happy New Year. I am great. Happy New Year to you, Tavis. Thanks for having us. My great delight. Susan, Happy New Year to you. How are you today? Happy New Year, Tavis. It's great to talk to you again. I'm pretty well, although uh, I'm calling from a landline, if you can believe that, because we've got a power outage here. Wow. Where, where, where is here? Where is here, Susan? That's San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. Well, I, I love the city by the bay. Sorry for the power outage, but uh, uh, across the country, I've been getting phone calls from uh, friends everywhere asking me how we're doing in California. Uh, everybody's watching, and they're seeing all this bad weather, these cyclone bombs, and it's been worse in Northern California than here in Southern California. So I'm sorry about the power outage. Hopefully they'll get it back on sometime in the not-too-distant future. But thank you for having a landline. See, I tell people all the time. I still have a landline. I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Andy, my board up. He's throwing his hands up in the air like he agrees with me. I tell all my friends, you got to have a landline. I know you think you can live by a cell phone. But in an emergency, all the cell towers are going to be overloaded. They're going to burn up. And you got to have a landline yep. if you want to communicate. So I tell my mama, I tell my daddy, I tell my loved ones and my friends, if you want to... You want to check in on me, or you want me to check in on you, in the event of a catastrophic event, you have to have a landline. And look at Susan coming through with no power because she got a landline. <laughs> Susan, I ain't mad at you. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. <laughs> Susan ain't got to apologize today for not making it because she had a landline. Uh, let me let me jump right in and make the most of this hour. Uh, uh, since I'm talking about Susan and her power, I'll start with Susan here first. Uh, I am always fascinated when I see books like this, or any kind of book, actually, that grabs my attention. I am fascinated as an author myself about what motivates people, what gets folk interested in a particular subject matter. I love this subject matter, but I'm always, again, curious as to how and why it became the source of a, of a research project for you, uh, Susan. Well, uh uh, I wrote a piece for Salon, oh gosh, back in 2000, and it was making fun of sorry if apologies, mm -hmm. you know. Sorry if you couldn't handle the truth. <laughs> uh, and it was, you know, it was a, just a little humor piece, um, right. but it did point out that sorry if is a terrible apology, and it was tied to news events of the day that hardly anybody remembers, so I thought it was out there and gone. But then people kept saying... I printed that out and I made my mom read it. Um, I made my boyfriend read it uh, because he didn't understand why I was still mad after a sorry if apology. And mm -hmm. I realized this is something people care about. I knew that Marjorie, my friend Marjorie, had uh, done a lot of thinking and writing about apology in the concept of, in the context of the Jewish High Holy Days, the Days of Atonement. And I figured we should team up and do a website. And we have studied, you know, we've looked at research about apologies, we've looked at apologies in the news, and take, we try to take them apart and go, why is this one good and that one so, so bad? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we so we've been doing sorry. We've been doing sorrywatch.com since 2012. Sure. But the book has been a nice opportunity to go deeper into history and the history of governments and not apologizing and into brain science about why it is so hard to apologize, even though we all recognize a terrible apology when we hear one, when we're the ones, you know, on the, on the, the block, we, we suck at it. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get into some of that brain science in this hour because it is a fascinating uh, book. Um, it's a fascinating subject matter, um, particularly around the issue of brain science and what it is that we know scientifically about why it is so difficult for us to say those simple yeah. words, I am sorry. Let me let me do this first, though. I was laughing, uh, Susan, uh, because when you when you said sorry if, uh, it, it, in my headphones here in the studio, I thought you said sorry A, these sorry A apologies. And I, <laughs> Andy, you thought the same thing? I thought you said these sorry A apologies. Now, there are a bunch of sorry. There, there are a bunch of sorry a apologies. But they what, really are. Yeah, what Susan actually said was sorry if apologies. I heard it the second time, but I said Susan's coming with it on her landline today. These sorry a apologies. <laughs> but she said sorry if okay. And, and so now I get it. And it seems to me that that's a great starting point, Susan, because there is no apology to my mind. And again, I've read your book, but there's no apology to my mind that ought to ever include the word if. Talk to me about that, Susan. Uh, You're 100% right. Okay, you're 99.9% right. Um, It's possible to say, oh, I'm sorry if I knocked your uh, coffee off the table and the person says, actually, that was me. That's the rare occasion where you get to say if. But we really go after sorry if apologies, sorry but apologies, you know, sorry I yelled at you, but you were so annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry you apologies, you know. Sorry you put me in this position where I had to uh, do whatever bad thing it was I did. And those are, those. the human mind is amazing. We're so, so good at, at, at coming up with these little ways of saying things that, that don't humble us as much as we're afraid of. I'm glad we got the full hour. There's a whole lot to unpack uh, about this new book, Sorry, (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, The Case for Good Apologies. I am delighted to be joined by Susan McCarthy and Marjorie Ingle, the co-authors of that. They also do a website together. Uh, But uh, we've already learned something in the first, what, 11 minutes, 12 minutes now of this conversation. You now know that if you are going to sincerely apologize to someone, including the person that gave me a sorry A, sorry if apology yesterday, that you cannot say sorry if, you should not say sorry but, and you should not say sorry you. Um, now we know that. That's the foundation. Let's build on that when we come forward with Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy on KBLA Talk 1580. Interrogating your assumptions. And expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy on KBLA Talk 1580 as we uh, talk about their new book, just out today, in fact. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The case for good apologies. What makes for a sincere apology? Horrible public and private apologies, uh, excuse-laden, victim-blamey, Weasley statements. Uh, we've all heard them. Uh, and uh, it's it's about time we have a conversation about how we uh, arrest this development. We all know a bad apology when we hear one. Uh, but why is it so hard to apologize well? How do we do better? How can they do better? So delighted to have Marjorie and Susan in this conversation and grateful for their book. Again, it's called Sorry, Sorry, Sorry. The Case for Good Apologies. Uh, Marjorie, since you teed this up earlier, um, talk to me about what you all have learned in your research and writing for this text 
about brain science and what it is in our brains uh, that make it so difficult for us to say those very simple words in a heartfelt way? Well, we are wired to see ourselves as the hero in our own story. Mm. We would not function if we didn't think that we were at heart good people who want to do good things. And sometimes when we are faced with the truth that we did something wrong, that we are a bad guy in someone else's story, we're faced with a lot of cognitive dissonance. Mm. And cognitive dissonance is when the brain has two things in there that are completely contradictory, that hit at the same time, and you're like, oh, God, what do I do? And the default for us is always going to be the other person is wrong. Because if we didn't see ourselves, I mean, it's not bad that we're built to be self-protective. That's how we we make it in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So if um, the problem is when we refuse to sit with the discomfort of cognitive dissonance and refuse to uh, acknowledge that maybe we did wrong, if we're willing to face it, we can be incredibly brave and do incredibly courageous things. And that's what a good apology is. It's a brave act. You, uh, you, you've raised the, you've raised one word that starts with an H. Let me raise another H word. Um, let me move from hero to humility. Um, I, I, I love uh, powerful sayings, powerful quotes, powerful affirmations, and there's a number. There are there are a number in my office, down the hallway from the studio, and one of the ones I look at all the time. Uh, and my mother gave me a lesson. I mean, literally, I, I can recall like it was yesterday, and she's probably listening right now back in Indiana where I grew up. Uh, my mother sat me down when I was just, uh, seven, eight, nine, maybe eight and gave me a lesson one day. I'd gotten in some trouble at school. Uh, and she sat down and gave me a lesson about humility and she brought me the way she got into this. I mean, it was a brilliant move by my mother, probably one of her best ever. She brought me a, (laughs) she brought me a, a pencil holder, a four hole pencil holder. And on the pencil holder, it said, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. That's where she started this lesson. And she used this statement, and she then went to the Bible, and I remember this verse like it was yesterday. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own lips. Let another man exalt thee, and not thine own mouth. That comes directly from the Bible. But my mother just laid in that day on a lesson with me, about what it means to be humble. And in my office all these years later, there is this quote, um, keep me humble lest I stumble. Keep me humble lest I stumble. It seems to me, Marjorie and Susan, that the flip side of this, of seeing ourselves as the hero in our own stories is finding a way into humility. Because again, it seems to me that if you can't wrestle with this notion of what it means to be humble, it's hard to offer a genuine apology, but what say you? I say you are 100% correct. Your mom is a wise woman. She is. Um, the, the, the science equivalent of what your mom just said was um, the sociologist Irving Goffman wrote about the concept of face, which is like you, the face you show the world, and you will do almost anything to protect that face. And getting into being humble is about realizing that you have to let your mask slip a little bit and you have to be vulnerable. Mm. And that's really hard. Yeah. Susan, you were going to say something? Well, I was going to agree. Um, a lot of times when people deliver a bad apology, they'll say, I never said I was perfect. And 
we pretty much all of us realize that we're not perfect, but it's it, that's easy to admit in general, mm-hmm. but to admit that you're not perfect in a particular instance, you know, that's much harder. Uh, we want to protect ourselves. Yeah. I think there's a link between these two things. I'm not sure which one is easier uh, to access. Put another way, I'm not sure which one is, which, which garment uh, we wear uh, more easily, and that is, uh, humility versus vulnerability. So, uh, Marjorie, I think you raised the word vulnerability a moment ago. It, 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 it ain't easy being humble for some people, but being vulnerable, nobody wants to be vulnerable because if you, you feel like if you're being vulnerable, and it's, it's, it's true of our society, let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. Nobody wants to be vulnerable these days because to be vulnerable means you open yourself up to exploitation. And we live in a world where people will exploit you all day long if you let them. So talk to me about how we find our way into a, a space, a place of vulnerability, which allows us to be humble enough to apologize uh, sincerely. But nobody wants to be vulnerable, Marjorie. Yeah, we believe that it's a, it's on everyone to do the work of creating a world where a good apology will be accepted. I think one reason why people are afraid to apologize is because, um, you know, social media has been a mixed blessing. On the one hand, it has amplified previously underheard voices, but on the other side, it means people are super eager to jump down each other's throats in a sort of performative kind of way. So to be vulnerable, we have to be the kind of people, you know, we all have to be the kind of people that someone feels safe being vulnerable to. And when you never, if you refuse to accept an apology, even one that's well-intentioned but imperfect, um, you're part of the problem. And I think if, I, I don't think that means we have to accept bad apologies. Neither one of us thinks that. But we do think, and you can ask someone to apologize better. If they do a sorry if, and you realize that they're probably capable of doing a sorry I, mm-hmm. then you can ask for that. It, like, it can be a dialogue to mm-hmm. make a safer world for being vulnerable. Oh, this is getting good now. It's getting rich. It's getting rich. It's getting rich. I got, a, <laughs> I got a whole lot of stuff just on that one comment. So let me, let me do this. Um, Marjorie talked a moment ago, Susan, about um, uh, not accepting an apology. Um, is it okay to not accept an apology because the apology wasn't sincere, it wasn't phrased appropriately? Is it okay not to accept an apology? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that. Back to my mother. Um, my spiritual upbringing, uh, my, my, uh, uh, my, 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 my spiritual underpinnings suggest to me um, that I have no option but to accept an apology. If I want to see God, if I want to go to heaven, uh, if I want to have this afterlife, uh, then I can't not accept someone's apology if they ask me for forgiveness. If they ask me for it, uh, as a Christian, I have no right but to give it to them. I hear Marjorie saying something a little bit different, which is that you do, in fact, have a right to not accept an apology if it's not sincere, if it's not worded correctly. But talk to me about this this notion of uh, not accepting apologies, as it were, Susan. Yeah, we do We do think that you don't have to accept an apology. Um Sometimes if you get an apology for something uh, that was really hurtful, you can say, thank you for apologizing. I need to think about this a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's a, something you're never going to forgive, um, and you don't have to forgive. I know there's an enormous amount of pressure um, for people to forgive. You know, Everybody loves to see somebody else forgive something amazing although Mm -hmm. 
sometimes I think how how can you how can you forgive that person who who hurt your child or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always easy to understand, but I think that we say that forgiveness is a gift, and you don't get to ask for gifts. Mm-hmm. You can say, I hope that you'll be able to forgive me, uh, but. Putting someone on the spot and saying, "Do you forgive me?" We don't. We don't think that's a, the right thing to the, do. The flip side, though, Susan, of 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 uh, uh, forgiveness being a gift, is uh, is that we have to forgive to live. I'm thinking of a of a, of a woman uh, we call Coach Wendy, uh, based here in Southern California, and she wrote a book once called. I have a copy of it on my on my shelf. It's called "Forgive to Live," and her argument is that we don't forgive others for others. We forgive others for ourselves. That if we want to live, if we want to advance past it, we we forgive them. Oftentimes, whether or not they offer an apology, you see that you you and Marjorie see that differently. There's definitely uh, it's definitely hard on you yourself if you can't forgive somebody. Mm-hmm. You know that means that that injustice lives in your in your heart and rankles you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's. Uh, that may be because of the thing the the thing that happened and not uh because you didn't forgive it. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I but I do too? think that Sure, Marjorie, go ahead. Go ahead, Marjorie. Yes. I was gonna say that, you know, Wendy is right that there's a lot of evidence that forgiveness is good for your immune system, good for your blood pressure, your heart rate, your sleep even. Mm-hmm. But that's only if it if you can do it. And I feel like a lot of times people do what's called spiritual bypassing, mm. which means demanding forgiveness without dealing with all of the anger and the sorrow mm. and by just repressing the feelings and mushing them down. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. And I think our society has this really dangerous kind of love for forgiveness stories in which less powerful people forgive more powerful people. Mm. Like people love stories about Holocaust survivors forgiving Nazis, rape victims forgiving rapists. Victims of shootings in churches, forgiving the shooter. And I'm not entirely sure that those stories are really good for us. Mm, now we into something deep here. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's that's a deep point. Talk well, to me. Talk, like talk, people, talk. Do you remember? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go, 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 go. I was just going to say, do, do you remember, like, the victim, um, Botham uh, Gene, the, the Dallas shooting victim? Sure. Um, his brother forgave right. the cop. That's right. And people loved that. Yeah. And when Eric Garner, in my in my city of New York, when people, uh, when people asked if she forgave the cop who shot her husband, and she said, hell no, mm-hmm. all of the headlines were like, use the term lashing out. Isn't she entitled to lash out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, is she, why is she forced to forgive? My, my mind, when you said that, uh, Marjorie, my mind went to Emmanuel Church uh, in South Carolina uh, when, yeah. when the guy came into church and yep. shot everybody uh-huh. praying. And some of those black families came out immediately. Again, back to that Christian ethos, that Christian ethic that I mentioned earlier. They came out without without his even asking for an apology and said, we forgive him. And that kicked up a major conversation, as you both recall, in this country about whether or not this killer, this shooter, Dylan Roof, deserved to be forgiven for something he hadn't even asked an apology for. Um, he hadn't, he, he hadn't right. asked forgiveness for rather, uh, because these persons happen to be Christian. So there is that, there's that sort of Christian ethos at work, but I, but I am fascinated by this comment, uh, Marjorie, that you make about the less powerful and, and the more powerful. G- give me, give me, a, give me a bit more about why we love those kinds of stories where that, where that sort of imbalance exists. There's this thing called the just world hypothesis mm-hmm. that we are, uh, we, a lot of people want to see the world as just and fair. 
And whether that means that you, you know, that in the world to come, uh, in the afterlife, in heaven, that, you know, we'll all be reunited and justice will occur, or it means that here on earth, really, we want to believe that good people are rewarded and bad people are punished. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, reality doesn't always work that way. There is bias in the world based on race, religion, size, gender identity, sexual orientation, all of that. The playing field isn't level. And sometimes forgiveness stories kind of want to pretend that the playing field is level and they don't, and they encourage us to to do another phrase that we hate in the book, let's move on, Mm -hmm. because only the people who are hurt get to say let's move on. And we don't get to criticize. If members of that church felt it was healing for them to forgive, then it's not on us to say, you know, you're wrong, because they're they're the victims here. Mm. But the rest of us can look and say, why does that make us feel so good? And is that preventing us from doing the work of building a more just society? I got a whole lot more to talk about, and I'm glad I've got this uh, next half hour after news, traffic, and sports. Our guests in this hour are Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy, two brilliant sisters who have uh, co-authored a book called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. And when we come forward, uh, again, a great deal more to unpack. I want to come right to this notion of um, that, I, my, that, that I see and have experienced in my own life, and that is that people oftentimes are, are reticent, uh, skeptical, scared to apologize because they feel that apology is going to be used against them, that the apology itself, even if it comes from a place of truth and, and, and earnestness, even if it's heartfelt, will be flipped will be flipped on them. So you apologize and then they use that apology uh, to exploit you in, 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 in myriad ways. We'll talk about that and a great deal more uh, when we come forward with Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy, authors of Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies on KBLA Talk 15. Broadcasting live from Lower Park, USA. USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio. KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. Glad to have you with us on KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. I'm so delighted to be in conversation in this hour with Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy. They are uh, the co-host of a, of a, of a, of a podcast, uh, as well as authors of a new book out today. It's called "Sorry, Sorry, Sorry: The Case for Good Apologies," and we've been uh, we've been downloading some good stuff in this hour, and I'm glad we've got some uh, more time left between now and the top of the hour to unpack a bit more. So I said before the uh, before the news, traffic, and sports break, uh, Marjorie and Susan, that I wanted to come to this issue, and that is this notion of people being afraid, hesitant, reticent about apologizing, even if it may be heartfelt, because they sense that the other party is going to use that apology to exploit them. I've seen that happen in my own life. I know other folk who've had the same issue. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you have uh, a, it doesn't mean you get a pass to not apologize if you were wrong. But again, uh, there's something about knowing or believing that the person that you apologize to is going to use that apology, not uh, as it was intended, uh, for forgiveness, but for exploitation. Yeah, um, one of the the ways that this is the most harmful is we look at uh, apologies in medical settings, mm-hmm. and people, when doctors do something wrong, you know that the whole system is set up in place for them not to apologize well because it will be used against them. Sure. Um, that, um, but. 
there was a report from the Harvard Hospital System in 2006 showing that there isn't a lot of evidence that good apologies from doctors increase the risk of malpractice suits. Well, there's lots of evidence that bad apologies and no apologies cause people to sue. Because the reason why people sue mm. doctors is because, A, they don't, they don't want this to happen to somebody else. B, they want an apology, a, a good apology that takes responsibility. And C, they want open communication. And because they don't get that, people go, oh, no, apologies cause people to sue. And that's actually not true because bad apologies make people sue. That, that, um, that, that but is, you're right. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. That's fa- no, I'm sorry. That's fascinating data that uh, that a, a bad apology is what causes the lawsuit. Uh, but if you do it earnestly and, and, and forthrightly, uh, there may not be a lawsuit coming. I was, I was about to say that there, there, there are certain things that that um, let me let me how, how do I want to frame this? There are certain mistakes that are made that I think demand more call for more than just an apology. A malpractice case that leads to someone's being someone being maimed or, or harmed physically the rest of their lives. A malpractice case that causes someone to be dead who should not have died. I mean, that demands a little bit more than the apology from the hospital. Am I right about that? Absolutely. You are 100 percent right. We have a we have a and I'm glad I'm really glad you said that because um, countries that do apologize and and pair the apology with an unasked for financial reward. They haven't had to go to college. You know, uh, sorry, they haven't had to go to court. Um, And if they go to court. Uh, if they, if they apologize in the office, apologize well, and offer a settlement right then without making ju- people jump through the hoops of going to court, mm-hmm. that tends to make people happier. But we have a six-and-a-half-point plan that talks about how to apologize well. Yep. And number six is reparations, mm-hmm. whatever that may mean, whether that means, you know, uh, so number five is making clear. So one is say you're sorry. Two, for what you did. Three, show you understand the impact and why it was hurtful. Four, offer explanation if it's relevant, but not excuses. Five, make clear why what you did won't happen again. And six, make reparations. Mm. And malpractice uh, and, and, and money is a really good form of reparations. Yep. Susan, you going to add something to that? I heard you trying to get in there a second ago. Uh, no, Sorry, Marjorie, Susan. I was going <laughs> to jump in with the six steps, and Marjorie jumped in with the six steps, so that was perfect. <laughs> I like that. We do have yeah. the half step at the end, which is listen. Yes. <laughs> so if you apologize to somebody, then you it's a really good idea to, to fall silent and let them have their say. But why, why, but, 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 why, why is listening, which is terribly important, generous listening, as I call it, charitable listening, why is listening only a half step, Susan? You don't need it in every apology. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, I am fascinated by this distinction. I get it, uh, but I'm fascinated by it nonetheless. Marjorie, this distinction you made a moment ago uh, between uh, explaining and excusing, uh, between explanation and excuse, and I think many of us don't know where that line is. So say a word to us, if you will, about where the line is and when it is acceptable to offer an explanation but not an excuse. An explanation might be, I'm so sorry I was late to your baby shower. Uh, the bus broke down on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, an excuse is, um, you know, well, you know, you, uh, this is like your third baby shower. It's your third kid. Um, uh, it's really your, uh, you know, I've already given you so many gifts. Um, you know, I, I just wanted you to know that, you know, in my head, this is really about you being 
you know, maybe a little bit greedy. Mm-hmm. No, I hear the difference. Susan, do you have a better example than that? Uh, there's there's so many examples. You know, like you say, uh, uh, you know, the bus the bus broke down. That's an explanation, and that um, people value an explanation, mm-hmm. uh, assuming that it's you know true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're going to go, you know. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but you were so annoying, and I've had a really bad day, and uh, <laughs> my boss yelled at me. You know, that's not actually relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to say, I'm sorry I yelled at you. You didn't deserve that. Yeah. Let, 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 Susan, let me ask you, um, why is it, to your mind, do you think that politicians specifically, um, who ought to have a lot of experience at this, <laughs> Why do, you, why, why do you think that politicos are so bad at offering apologies? I'm thinking now, for example, there have been many, but I'm thinking now Bill Clinton. I, I, Bill Clinton is a friend of mine, and I'm not you know, saying anything uh, that hasn't been written about or talked about a thousand times. But after the Monica Lewinsky thing, and I was honored in my career after that happened for eight months, Bill Clinton did not do any interviews. And the record will, will show that when he finally decided to sit down for a one-on-one, he called me. I went to the White House, uh, and on my television show, I did the first interview that Bill Clinton had done in eight months following the Monica Lewinsky scandal. A great moment in my career. It kind of blew me up, and here I am today all these years later. Um, and so I thank the president for the exclusive. But uh, I, I remember vividly, uh, and I asked it, I talked about this to him during the interview, that after this happened, first of all, he comes out and says, I did not have relations with that woman. We know he lied about that from the very beginning. But then eventually he came around and he apologized. Um, but his apologies were so lacking, it took the president three or four times to get this apology right. And finally, at this national prayer breakfast, um, he got it right. Because, as I recall, one of the things he kept saying was, I regret. I regret. Yeah. I regret. <laughs> he did not say, I am sorry. It took Bill Clinton, who's one of the brightest people I've ever met, three or four times to get this apology right. I raised that as an example, not to, to bash my friend Bill Clinton, but to ask um, why it is that politicians specifically who rely on the vote of everyday people, the support of everyday people to, to have these positions, are so bad at giving sincere apologies. I think Can I jump in on this one? Individual- Bill, Bill, yeah. Susan, Bill is such a good example because his apology for the test. Tuskegee experiment is maybe the best apology by a politician that mm-hmm. we have in the book. Mm-hmm. But he his his apology, you know, you talk about how he finally got it right, and we would argue that he hasn't because mm-hmm. he has not privately apologized to Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference between public and private apologies. Susan, go ahead. No, I was gonna I was gonna make that point. Um, and I think that politicians are as individuals, they're you know, reluctant to be vulnerable, especially since they're trying to get people to see them as heroes. And they're also often surrounded by advisors who kinda of like admit nothing, uh deflect, deflect, change the subject. Uh let's talk about our accomplishments. And that's not good advice because an apology is hard, but when you give a good apology it actually makes you look good. Marjorie, when we come forward here in just a moment, I want to come back to Bill Clinton for one more one more moment here because it seems to me yeah. that he is the perfect example of what I was suggesting earlier when I said that oftentimes people are afraid to apologize because they know the apology is going to be used against them, that they are going to be exploited. I'm going now back to the interview. You can Google it and find it for yourself 
what's the brother's name on today's show now that sits at the desk? I can't think of his name, but the, the black Bra- guy oh. on the uh, on the not not Brian not Brian not Brian Gumble. Craig Melvin. Craig, Craig Melvin. Yeah, Brian's been gone. Yeah, Craig Craig Melvin. Craig <laughs> Melvin uh, had an interview with Bill Clinton, I guess, a year or so ago. Uh, and in that interview, he kind of put him on the spot and asked him had he apologized to Monica. So that question has been put to the president in a public setting. Um, hold on to that. We'll come back yes, to that in just a second. That's actually in the book. Yeah, exactly. So, so hold on to that. That Craig yeah, Melvin yeah. interview is in the book. Exactly. So hold on to that Craig Melvin issue for a second. I want, I want to come back to this because you know, Marjorie, Susan, you know, I know, and ain't a soul listening to this program right now who doesn't know that if, in fact, Bill Clinton ever privately apologized to Monica Lewinsky, it ain't going to stay a private conversation. He's going to be exploited. It's going to get out there. And maybe exploited is the wrong word in this instance. I don't know. You tell me. All I'm saying is if he ever does that, it ain't going to stay private. So, Marjorie Ingle, back to Bill Clinton right quick here. If Bill Clinton ever, in fact, does apologize privately to Monica Lewinsky, something tells me it ain't going to stay private. Possible. And yet, for effort, like, think about this man blew up this woman's life. And he owes it to her. I don't like the term, like, it'll be exploited, because, I'm sorry, as a human being, he owes her this, you know, the I'm sorry to her. Mm -hmm. That is the thing that we all seek. Um, And I I wonder... It would be the right thing. It would be the right thing to do. It also isn't going to be, it also isn't going to be actionable, because everything's already out there. Mm -hmm. There's no information that's not known already. Um, I wonder whether... Here, I'm going to flip it back to you sure. and say, you know, one, on the one hand, I love that the, the title of this, you know, that your tagline for this show is unapologi- unapologetically progressive mm-hmm. because we believe in not apologizing for your beliefs. We talk about actions, not beliefs. Mm. Um, I wonder if there's anybody in your past that you, that you would like to apologize to if you knew that there weren't, like, legal risks or... Yeah. You know, I think we all have the thing that still weighs on us. Yeah. No, I, I can do I can do better than that. I had somebody sue me one time uh, for something that uh, that I allegedly said that, that they took in a particular way. And this went on for years for years. Nobody said anything to me about it. Uh, it never was brought to my attention. That wasn't the intent of what I said. It ends up in a lawsuit at one point uh, in my career. And I discovered this and I'm like, this this happened like 20 years ago. And at no point did you ever say to me, did anybody ever say to me that that was your interpretation of what I said or what I meant? And had I known that 20 years ago, I would have apologized to you then on the spot. I would have apologized then had I known that that's how you interpreted. I only raised that, uh, Marjorie, because you opened the door for me. I think, to your point, sometimes there are things in life that we've done or said to harm other people. I'm being transparent here. That we didn't even know they took that particular way, but they hold on to it for years. So you don't even know you owe somebody an apology, but they're holding a grudge against you. Yeah. And yet, do you think that in the end you do owe them the apology once you find out? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I mean, and in that instance, in my case, I did in fact apologize, and that apology did come with an explanation. It was, it was clear to me all these years later that they did not understand what I said. They didn't understand what it actually happened to me twice: once in a lawsuit, and once just as a guy, once, once, um, uh, a guy who uh, for fifteen years wouldn't speak to me, and I didn't know why. 
And 15 years later, when he finally, you know, got around to it, he told me in a conversation, it's a very famous actor, a very famous actor who I, 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 I gave a comment about in an article. He had gone through some stuff and I was asked by a reporter what I thought about it. And I made a comment and he just misinterpreted what I meant by the comment. And for 15 years, I couldn't get this guy to interview with me. And finally, one day he told me what it was and we got we, we got past it. And he came on this station, in fact, and we've had a public conversation since then. Now we're boys again. But I'm like, Negro, for 15 years, <laughs> you didn't say a word to me over something that I, I, I didn't even know what you were mad about. So I'm, I'm making the point that sometimes perhaps we do owe people up, uh, apologies, but we can't know that. If somebody doesn't say what you said offended me or here's how I took what you said. So, yes, is answer your question, Susan. Once I found out in yeah. both of those cases that they misinterpreted or mistook something uh, that I said uh, the wrong way, I apologize. We moved on. Life goes on. Our remaining moments with Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy, authors of the book, Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Right now, right now. This conversation is so rich, and uh, I could go another hour or two. I ain't got three or four minutes left. Let me do this right quick. There's so many comments. There's so many comments, Marjorie and Susan, that I can't get to from listeners. Let me just read one right quick, since we're talking about the, this matter with Bill Clinton. Once is a, this is a, this is a listener. Once a private event is made public, does the person deserve a private apology or a public apology? Uh, if what they did public, if what they did is now public. Uh, why is a private apology sufficient? Uh, once the situation with Monica Lewinsky went public and she started to talk about it publicly, does she really deserve a private apology? Deserve? I'd say yes, she does. Deserve? Yeah, but 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 yeah, I, I hear I hear I hear, I hear I hear your point on the word deserve. But the, the, the final point I want to what the what the, no, the, yes. the listener is asking is what the listener is asking is if if she goes public with it and talks about it repeatedly. Why then is he in a situation to give her a private apology? He, he He's already apologized I'm gonna you, publicly. I'm gonna, no, I, I hear you. I would give you an example of, do you remember that incident at United Airlines when they dragged that old man the, off the yes, plane? Yes, I remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because of an overbooking situation. Yep. They said, uh, you know, his his daughter did most of the media appearances for that mm-hmm. um, because he was in the hospital and English isn't his native language. And uh, United finally, after a whole bunch of terrible apologies like Bill Clinton, finally apologized adequately, barely adequately to him publicly and said, oh, we reached out to him privately. That turned out not to be true. Mm -hmm. If you're a public figure and you say you apologize to someone privately and you didn't, that is not a good look for you. Nope, it's not. And yes, you still, if, if somebody who has been harmed talks about it publicly that's brave we think and yes she still deserves an apology yep last word susan private you know the uh the uh quote we put at the front of the book not every is from james baldwin who said not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced and we think that so applies to apology I love these two sisters for for two reasons. One, they've written a great book, as you can tell by this conversation, this spirited conversation. It's called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. I also love them because anytime two white women can start a book with James Baldwin, you love, I got love for you. I got mad love for you. If you start the book with James Baldwin, it's a beautiful thing. Their names are Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy. Again, their book is called Sorry, Sorry, Sorry. The Case for Good Apologies. What a great conversation. What a great book. Go out and get it. Marjorie and Susan, all the best to you. Thank you for this conversation. 
Thank you, Tavis. Thank you so much, Tavis. My great delight. More of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on Cape Talk 1580.